The Eagles flew me up to Philadelphia, but they didn't even speak to me. I'm like, they didn't even, I just went up there, I sat on the curb and it's like I was there, but I didn't understand <laughs> that I was just being, I was just being bait. All right, listen up, everybody. I understand your obsession with takeout and fancy brunches and late night delivery. Luckily, so does today's sponsor. Food lovers meet the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Now, with this credit card, you get four times the points on restaurants, deliveries, takeout orders, and dine-in brunches, lunches, or dinners. Plus, Altitude Go gets you two times the points on groceries. Yes, even delivery, streaming services, and gas or EV charging station pit stops. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply and learn how you can earn 20,000 bonus points. You deserve a credit card that gives you more and more and even more. You deserve Altitude Go, NerdWallet's 2022 Best of Awards winner for Best Credit Card for Dining Benefits. Apply to become an Altitude Go cardholder at usbank.com slash altitude go. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. Some restrictions may apply. Hey, everybody. What's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Look, when you have first-round picks, you want to hit home runs. Like, for example, the Dallas Cowboys in a span of three straight drafts in the first round took Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, and Emmett Smith. That's a pretty good run. The Colts also went on a similar run. In 1998, they selected Peyton Manning first overall. And with their first run selection in 1999, they took this week's guest, running back Edron James. And one of the reasons I bring up the Cowboys because they had the triplets of Michael, Troy, and Emmett. And the next iteration of the triplets ended up being in Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, and this week's guest, Edron James. Enjoy the conversation with the Hall of Fame running back. The thing about football, which is great, is it's a team sport, right? And, and you obviously believed in yourself from day one. But I want to read to you a run of the Indianapolis first-round draft picks, which I found absolutely fascinating here. 1996, Marvin Harrison. 1997, Tarek Glenn. 1998, Peyton Manning. 1999, Edron James. 2001, Reggie Wayne. That's a pretty good run. Of yeah. first round picks to to, to sort of uh, be a part of. Yeah, no, that was great. It was um, they did they did a great job of assembling assembling a great team with great personalities, great people that actually mesh. Because you can always get good talent, but you don't get the right yeah. people, it doesn't mesh. And that's one thing about us. We we all had think, had the same thing in common. And again, I left out Rob Morris in 2000. I mean, he was fine, but the other ones were better. I, I, I just said that was a pretty good run you guys were on. Yeah. We'll get into your time with the Colts and all that kind of stuff. But I, I want to start like, when did you, when did you think, hey, man, I, I really thought, I, I think I might be able to play this game and maybe go to college and get a scholarship. Was there a moment for you that's like, oh, I, I think I can do this? Well, I think, it, when you, you know, usually when you're good in Pop Warner yeah. and then it carries over to high school and as you continue to excel, and I've always played against older people. You know, in yeah. part one, you played, you know, I was always the youngest. And then when I finally got into high school, it was 11th grade, and I started playing with people my age group, or I was still somewhat young, but you started seeing, like, man, I really can dominate in this game. And, it, and because it was so effortless for me, the football, game of football was always easy for me. And then once I got to the University of Miami, that's when the light clicked, like, man, this right here is really easy. I can really take this somewhere. You know, at first you really don't know because you're playing against your peers, you're playing against the people you grew up with, so you don't really have a measuring stick. But then when you start looking at all the different um, 
rankings and these publications have these guys that are ranked so high and you got that dominating them and you're like, hey, hold up, something's not right. Or maybe, <laughs> you know, I don't know who's, who's, who's doing the judging or who's doing the rating, but these guys are supposed to be a top this or top that and, and I'm not even rated or ranked and I'm dominating them. So that's what turned the light on for me. It's funny you say that we had Greg Olson on in an earlier show, and he talked about how intimidated he was the first time he played uh, <laughs> on the practice squad, or you know, the or the, uh, the, uh, the 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 team to get everybody ready, you know, uh, the scout team to get everybody ready for the U. Yeah. And he was like, "Here I am going up as a freshman against Sean Taylor, <laughs> all these kind of guys." Yeah. What What was yeah. it like for you to be there at the U and, and just understand that, it, like, the whole thing was still it was such a it was such a brand, you know. The, it was, it was a brand. Being being a part of the U was a brand that you wanted to be associated with. I think everybody went, in there, went there with knowing that hey, football has to work. I think that's where the mentality starts. Football has to work. Football means everything to everybody. When you get in a situation like that, it'll make it'll make or break you. You know, you see guys that, that's coming from these situations that this game means a lot more to them than just going out there having fun. That's where it starts at. And then once you're playing at University of Miami, once you start competing, you realize, hey, this right here is this this stuff is serious. And it forces you to get in the gym. It forces you to work out because if you don't, you know, it's going to show. And and our practices were prime time. You know, practices were tougher than the games. And if you don't do your stuff in practice, you got to you got to walk around campus with that. You know, you got to you got to live that moment. And that's and it, it and that's there's it, it, no reason you want to walk around the football walk around campus as a football player, but not doing what it takes or representing uh, what it takes to be a football player. How much swag did you guys have back then? Like, what what was it like putting on that uniform and knowing we're pretty much going to do whatever we want to do? Oh, yeah, that, that was all a part of it. You know, you know, part of the game is intimidation, confidence. And when you have intimidation with the confidence, you know, it automatically makes the other guy, like, look, look up to you but sometimes it gives them if you if you cringe a little that gives them confidence because they're like oh i didn't know they were this and this. so you have to be exactly what you what you put on to be and we got so much swag and the way we do it we have fun with it you know we're a small we were we're a small school so we stuck together we was always together but we're in we're in probably the best city for college athletes to have fun to get the total package you know because we got a chance to be around celebrities. We were the celebrities, you know. We were yeah. we were part of that. So you you're living that life and that culture to where it's like, man, you want to do well because when you leave campus and you go out into the city, you know, you have to represent the city. You have the whole city on your back. You had the whole state on your back. Everybody that's into um, the University of Miami, the rebellious, you know, hurricanes that everybody against all odds. That's us. Was there a guy that that you played with at, at the U that didn't make it, that you were surprised that didn't make it? When you played with him, you're like, damn, this guy is one of the best players I've ever seen, and for whatever reason, it didn't pan out. Um, there were a lot of guys, but a lot of time when they make it, it was self-inflicted. Yeah. You know, the talent was there, but they couldn't handle the, the total package. You know, it's it's easy to say, hey, I'm in the in the city of Miami, and I can go enjoy myself, I can have fun. And there's temptation, and some people get taken over by temptation. So when you see somebody made it, you have a lot of respect for them because that you knew what they went through. It's hard to be a 18 year old, 19 year old yeah. that's treated at, uh, at, at, treated like a celebrity, and keep the discipline to go to school, to do the training, 
to make all these different appearances and appointments, you know, it, it's really tough. So I know a lot of guys that, that should have made it, but the elements took them over. How much, you know, now that we're in this NIL era of college athletes, you know, name, image, and likeness, how much NIL money would your team have made in the 90s with the things that you were doing and the way that you guys played? Yeah, it's hard to say, but, you know, we were um, during that era, every, we were becoming super popular and everything was rolling. But I always question that. And that's one thing I speak about in my book is because you really don't know if the hunger is going to be there. You know, it's, it's like when you the NFL is, hey, I can take my take my family out of poverty. I can take take my life to another level if I make it to the NFL. I don't have I don't have I don't have I'm driven. I'm driven because I don't have. But then all of a sudden, you know, you come and you start having these distractions. I think I think a lot of time it could have been a distraction because these companies and these businesses, you know, they they want their appearances. They want they want you to show up. They want you to do what you're supposed to do to uphold your end of the um the bargain. And so what what you better to give football your all? So it's one of those questions that I really don't know that I could say would have been good or bad. You know, it would be yeah. to be to be determined. Well, listen, your book, which we'll get into, great title, uh, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket. <laughs> it's just it's a tremendous it's title. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah. a, a lot about that book a little bit later. I do love that title. But you know, just being in Miami, how much, listening to you talk, how much did that atmosphere prepare you for the stuff that you knew you were going to have to deal with on a professional level that maybe somebody else coming from a different school didn't already have that experience? I don't think no other place can prepare you like Miami. You know, you think about the city of Miami. You think about Miami as the off-season hub for every athlete, every celebrity, everybody comes through Miami. So you, and, and then you don't have a clock. Miami has no clock. You know, it's you know, one o'clock, <laughs> like a Vegas casino. There's like yeah. a Vegas casino. There are no clocks. There, there are no clocks. So whatever's your vice, you'll be exposed. You know, Miami will expose, it will expose any vice that you have. And when you're young, you really don't know, and you're away from your parents, you're away from the people that kind of molded you. It's it's pretty difficult. So when you when you're able to overcome that, the next level is just how you're gonna deal with the financials. You know, the financials are the things that you have to learn. That's the only difference between the NFL and being at Miami the early is it's the financials because you have access, you're gonna have fun, you're in the middle of everything. Any guy that goes to University of Miami, they usually know somebody or we have like our, our brotherhood is so tight to where our freshmen, sophomores, they're always welcome. You know, once you become a hurricane, you're welcome to come to the event. You're welcome to hang out. If I see you out in the city or whatever, I'm gonna make sure you're good. And it's it's always been kicked down like that. There's a tradition, like an unwritten rule. You know, you take care of another hurricane when you see him and everybody upholds that end of the bargain. And it's not just talk, it's real. You know, you go somewhere, if you see somebody, you know, they're gonna, it's not like they're gonna just let you go for bad. They're gonna, right. cause, it's, it's, cause they see themselves in you. They say, hey, I used to be that guy. And Michael Irvin tucked me up under his wing or, you know, Edwin James tucked me up under his wing. And so they're gonna continue doing those things. And then, and that's how we keep tradition going. Well, listen, that brotherhood propelled you to be the fourth overall pick in the 1999 draft. Yeah. I remember there's a lot of controversy about the Colts taking you over Ricky Williams in that same draft class. What do you remember about that draft experience and, and talking with Ricky? Or did you talk to Ricky at all about who would be the first running back taken? Well, um, Ricky's actually in the book. We actually um, speak on that in the book. You know, I got a chapter that's kind of dedicated to that draft because that was an um, important part of it. 
of my journey. And, you know, throughout the whole process, I think it was more, it, it, was, it was entertaining and it was more so for everybody else because I didn't know Ricky, Ricky didn't know me. And anybody that knows me, I wasn't gung-ho on being the first running back or this better. I was just happy to say I'm going to the NFL. So yeah. my appreciation just to be an NFL player was greater than trying to become. I'm not, I'm not a spoiled person. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon. So I appreciate the things I get. And during that process, you know, I guess it, it, it made a good story, you know, and it was, it was good to, you know, you had to build something around every situation. Sure. So I understood the whole thing, but I never gave into it because I understood my purpose. You know, I'm happy to be going to the NFL. If I would have went, Behind Ricky, it would have made no difference to me. You wouldn't see no complaints or anything. You know, I think it's because everybody everybody thought that Ricky was going to go first. And, you know, the media tells kind of tells the people what to think or what to do. And nobody really knew about me. But when it comes to business, you have business people in organizations. And the coach, they run their organization like a true business. And when you're running your operation like that, you're going to do what's best for the organization. So they did their homework and they made sure that they really evaluated the, both people. And for their situation, you know, I was best for them. When did you know that the Colts were going to take you? Like, did you get it? Were you getting an indication all along that you, you thought you might go there? Or how, I mean, sort of take me through the draft process for you. What, were, what, were you. what teams were you hearing from? Where were you thinking you might land? I really didn't know where I was going to land because the, the draft, you know, it took a turn, you know, the weeks leading up to it. But prior to it, I was always told, I said, man, I'm going to be um, one of the top two backs taken. And so yeah. I was cool with number two, number three, it didn't matter. And you had, I think, um, the Eagles. The Eagles flew me up to Philadelphia. I think they was the number three pick. But they didn't even speak to me. I'm like, they didn't even, I just went up there, I sat on the curb, and it's like I was there, but... I didn't understand that I was just being, I was just being wait, bait. You know, I really wait, didn't Wait, wait, wait. They, they flew, they flew you up to Philadelphia. They didn't even talk to you. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like I went and I found myself sitting on the curb and, and so, you know, but it was all part of, but it was all part of the draft process. I guess the smoke, the smoke and mirrors process. Right. Because I didn't speak to anybody, but the media knew I was in town. So maybe that was their, their way of saying, Hey, we might pick Edwin James. I don't know, but. I went to Philadelphia. I went to the to the facility, and it was nothing really. You know, it was like I'm like, why am I here? You know, but I never knew how the process um, went. And then I wouldn't. I really wouldn't take no other trips. You know, I think I went by the Dolphins facility um, once. We had a coach from the University of Miami. He was at the Dolphins, and he was like, he's always saying, "Hey, the Dolphins are going to try to trade up to get you." You know, and it's that'll be home. I'll be right in the same city I played college. So I was like, okay, that's cool. And then you start looking at the draft and how everything's shaping up. Then all of a sudden, the Colts, you know, they trade Marshall Falk. I don't know how it was a couple of days or I don't know. Prior, prior to the draft, they traded Marshall Falk. Yeah. And so now it's like, okay, yeah, the Colts are going to get a running back. And so now we have another team that put their name in the hat. You know, so we're just paying attention to everything. But then I start reflecting. I went to Indianapolis to the Combine. I never spoke with the coach. The coach didn't talk to me. I don't know anybody um, at the coach. You know, so there was, I, there, I didn't think that I would be the one that would be going to the coach because I never talked to him. 
And so I, and, and within the process, you know, I thought maybe you would you would know or they would sit down with you when they really want you, you know, but that wasn't the game plan for them. And so they did a great job of keeping it, keeping it close to the best. See, this is why I call this part of the year in the NFL the lying season. Like what you just <laughs> said sums it up perfectly. Like the Eagles went out of their way to fly you up there to make a big show out of it and didn't, didn't even say a word to you. And then the team that drafted you didn't even come in contact with you. I always tell people at this time, if a coach or a GM or a scout or someone, if their lips are moving, they're lying because they don't want anybody to know what they're actually doing at this time of the year. It's a great chess move, you know, and I understand it. And as the years go on, you reflect and you sit back and say, well, you know, when you start looking at all these people, oh, this team is this. I say, I don't, I don't really think so because I was part of that whole thing. It's like they'll, they'll fly you up and have you sitting on the curve too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, you know, it's all part of the process. But I understand why because you can't, can't tip your head and then somebody else take your man. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, they played to perfection because you landed in the best possible st- spot. So why don't we take our first break here when we come back. Uh, with Hall of Famer Edgerrin James. We'll talk about his initial reactions to Indianapolis and how he rode that into his Hall of Fame career. We're coming back with the Edge right after this. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaways, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? Because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Guys, the NBA's regular season is now officially in the books. We turn our attention to the postseason. At Caesar Sportsbook, the Phoenix Suns are the favorites to emerge as NBA champs holding the Larry O'Brien Trophy at plus 270. The Suns are looking for their first title in franchise history and completed the regular season with a league best record of 64 and 18. The reigning champion Bucks have the second lowest odds at plus 475 as they're looking to become the first team to repeat as NBA champs since the Golden State Warriors did it in 2017 and 2018. Right behind those teams are the New Jersey Nets at 650, but they will need to clear the play-in tournament to make the playoffs. The Nets last won a title in 1976 where they were in the old ABA and some guy named Dr. J was the team's 25-year-old superstar. Only two other clubs are at plus 1,000 or better to win it all. The Warriors at plus 950 and the Celtics at plus 1,000. Find more of Trey's trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. 
Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE NEW YORK 467369. All right, back on Half Forgotten History with the Hall of Famer, Edger and James. So the Colts played their hand to perfection. You had no idea they were going to take you. You land there. What was your initial reaction when you realized, all right, they have quarterback. They have a uh, they have a great wide receiver in, in Marvin Harrison. I might be going to a really good situation here. Well, it's how do you say you go into a really good situation when the team is 3-13? You know, you don't you Accurate. really don't know. Yeah, you, you really don't know what you're going to. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to play with Peyton Manning, but Peyton wasn't established as an NFL quarterback yet. You're going with Marvin Harrison. You know, I know Marv from the Big East Syracuse days, so that's like, okay, yeah, that's Marv that you're on the team with. But, you know, you're still looking at, hey, this team was 3-13, and 13, so yeah. we have a lot of work to do. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, you look at that. If you get drafted high, you're going to go to a, a terrible team, you know, but that wasn't the case. It was the fact that this team had all the pieces put in place and I I could have been the missing link, you know. And once I got there, you know, from day one, you know, it just hit the ground running. Everybody had the same mindset. It was just work. Everybody wanted to work. I'm coming from the University of Miami, so I still want to represent. I still want to do what we do and play at a high level. And football is everything. And then you run into a guy like Peyton Manning, and you realize football is everything. And then you get out there with Marvin Harrison and you realize he's from Philadelphia. And, and when he steps foot in Indianapolis, football is everything. Everything just started adding up, you know, and yeah. we just went to work. Well, listen, you could make a very compelling argument. You were the missing piece to the puzzle because you were 3-13. and 13. The Colts were 3-13 and 13 before you got there. And the year you got there, you run for 1,500 yards, and you guys are 13-3. I mean, it, that was one of the fastest turnarounds uh, in NFL history. In, in the middle of that rookie season, when did you sort of realize, hey, we, we, have, all, we have everything we need here? I still didn't realize. I just was playing football. You know, I really didn't. Like, I didn't even know the magnitude of things because it was just the game. It was the same game I've always played. You know, I didn't really look at – I didn't know about stats, records, this and that. I'm like, I just want to hit my incentives. I just want to be one of the best to ever play. I just want to do my job. And when it came to the overall team, that's, I let the organization deal with that. Like, let's play. Let's play to win. And let's play hard. And that's all we did. We just continued to do that. And I think we're all young. And we just, we're just doing what we, what we love to do. And everything else kind of just take care of itself. You sound a lot like Peyton when, that, when we're talking about football here. I mean, like, you, had a, you, you have a no BS, all business approach here. Is that one of the reasons that you and Peyton click so easily because you both have that same mindset? Yeah, I, I, and that's, I, I, I absolutely believe that because, you know, you want to win, they want to win, you want to be the best, they want to be the best, and everybody's selfless. Everybody's saying, man, I'm going to do what's best for the team. You know, I want to go out here and put this, put this work in. It's like if, it's, if we have to pass the ball, let's pass the ball. If we have to run the ball, let's run the ball. Let's do what it takes. You know, we we had a game against, I think, Green Bay. I think we, it was Peyton 
um, and Favre. It was a big time matchup, you know. Yeah. And I know, and I know Peyton wanted, you know, and, and you know, anytime you play against somebody you look up to, you want to go out and have a good game. And all, and all of us always, we're always supportive of what the other person is trying to accomplish. And so we, we threw the ball like twenty something times in a row. And all I had to do was block, block, block. And as a running back, nobody likes to just block, block, block. But yeah. you understand, like, man, this is my boy. I know it's important to him, but this is what's good for the team also. And so that was that says a lot about the relationship with all of us. You know, if we had any situation that we needed to try to accomplish something, I remember when Marv was going for the record and catches. You know, we're yeah. all getting behind each other. You know, everybody's getting each other, get behind each other, and we're doing it within the game. And that's what made it so cool. If I had an incentive, I let Peyton know, look, I have this incentive, you know. And everybody worked together, but we did it all, you know, with within the game, but supporting each other without everybody making a big deal out of it. It was it was kind of effortless and you wouldn't even know it. It's funny you say that because there's a classic clip of uh, Peyton and Jeff Saturday getting into it on a Monday night game when they went down to the goal line. And all week long in practice, they they were going to run it. They went down there and threw it three times in a row. And Jeff got all pissed off at Peyton and said, "We why did you?" Ben, Peyton's yelling, oh, "You shut up! You just block all call the plays." <laughs> I mean, but it sort of speaks to that relationship, right? Like all you guys sort of work together, but you could get in each other's faces when you needed to. Yeah, you know. But I think those are those are rare occasions, right there. And if the play would have worked, nobody would have said anything, you know. <laughs> so it's one of those things where. So you know, true. You, you just have to you have to just go with the flow, but you have to be willing to, like, a t- you have a team that's not full of yes men, and everybody yeah. can talk to each other and they put it behind them and go and go to work the next day. You know, nobody's holding grudges with each other. I know Peyton and Jeff have a great relationship, and it's all part of the game, you know. And it's one of those things that you got to embrace and you got to love because they're going to be blow ups. They're going to be time where people get into it, and I I've seen it. I've never been a part of none of that, you know, but I've seen it, you know, but it's about what, you know, what are we trying to do here? Well, that's interesting because what the Colts were trying to do was win it all. And you guys had a lot of success in the regular season, but it took a while for the Colts to figure out how to win in the postseason. What was that process like? Because there, you know, there were people that are saying all these things about the Colts and, and your, and, in your air. Well, they can do this indoors, but they can't do it outdoors. You know, there was this stigma of what the Colts could and couldn't do. What, what was that perception like for you? Well, I think it was, everybody's learning, you know, you're learning on the go. You're learning on the fly. It was a team that had to learn itself. You know, we had to, we had to understand ourselves. And when coach Dungey came in, one thing he did different was once it got to playoff time, he put the pads back on, you know, you have to understand you have you had to get back in playoff mode. We never used to do that. You know, that was one thing that was different. We had to you get in playoff mode. You have to practice at a certain tempo, practice out in the cold, do the things that that that's going to happen on that Sunday or on that game day. And it's just a mindset because, you know, you only get one shot in the playoffs. You know, if some team come in there, they're on fire. And I remember my first year, Tennessee Titans came in there. Yeah. And, and we woke up too late. You know, we were the better team. I knew we were the better team. But they came in hard-nosed. They was hitting on another level. They was doing everything at another level. So it took us a while to really catch ourselves. And you run out of time because we're an offensive team. And at some point, we're going to figure it out. But you're going up against a clock. And that's one thing the playoffs 
teach you. You have to start right now. You can't can't get in the hole. You have to understand these teams that have those that have to play that that wild card or play the, those teams are coming in. They're already ready, you know. Yeah. And so we found ourselves in that same situation when we went to we went to play against um, Kansas City Chiefs. They had the top seed, and we went right there and knocked them off because we had been in that situation before. You know, that was their first time getting in, in that situation. And we went in there with that same mentality. We had play, I think we played the week before, and we was already in playoff, playoff mode. And we just ran up and down the field against them. That was the first no-punt game in a, in a postseason yeah. game. Uh, the, the, yeah. There wasn't a single punt in that game at Arrowhead. It was, it was, it was a show. I think 41 to 38 might have been the final score. It was crazy. But, you yeah, know, I, know. I, always think about, you know, I always think about that those Colts teams, and I think about the 2005 season because you, everything was working for you guys. It was yeah. Everything was clicking. And then very late in the year, you had the tragedy with, with the death of Tony Dungy's son. And I just think that that people, I don't think people understood how much that affected the team, right? And no one wants to make excuses, and I understand that. But you guys learned in a really difficult way that football isn't everything and this season where everything was working for you in football. How did that change that team that year? Well, I think when you're a close-knit family and the your leader um, – it's being affected. A leader has something going on. It trickles down, and everybody feels it. When you walk in that building, the day you walk in that building, that's all you hear. This happened. This happened. So everybody's concerned about your team. I mean, they're concerned about the coach. And the, so the organization did a great job of being supportive. Everybody kind of came together, and you start realizing football is not as important as everybody probably make it. And now you're in the midst of that. But it had. But it. it that's not the reason you lose the game. You know, but those things right there are are indications that, you know, yeah. you get off your square a little bit. You know, you're missing this or you're missing that because now we're in a different space. You know, you know, you, you know, coach, you know, coach is going through stuff. Which he's a great guy. He masks everything. He, you know, he has that, that poker face and you wouldn't never yeah. know it. But, you know, in these situations and you put yourself in those shoes, and you say, man, dang, that's got to be tough. And and that year. I think that's the year we lost to Pittsburgh, and yep, twenty-one eighteen. And and I, and the and the reason I always look back and say the reason we lost to Pittsburgh because we played them before, and I think we had our way with Pittsburgh the first time. Oh, you, you beat them up pretty good, yeah. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if we took it as serious as, as serious as we need, or they came in with with the they came in at another level. You know, it's like. Yeah. We, 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 we've already been there before, so, you know, we kind of know what we're going to do. But they played at, a, at, a, at another level. They played at another tempo, which went into the playoffs. And, you know, the good team, they've been to playoffs before. Pittsburgh's been there, and they know at playoff time, you turn it up. And we ran out of time. You know, that's all you can yeah. say. We ran out of time because they came in playing some good ball. You know, they, they were real aggressive, and they made some good plays. Well, the end of that game was nuts. I mean, Jerome Bettis is going in for what will be the game-clinching score. He fumbles. He never fumbles. Nick Harper picks up the fumble. It looks like he might run it back for a touchdown, and Ben Roethlisberger somehow tackles him. And that, of course, <laughs> was the week that Nick got stabbed in the leg by, by his wife. I always wanted to say maybe if he didn't get stabbed, he might he might have missed Ben Roethlisberger's tackle. That game was crazy. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a crazy game, but, man – those are the best games. The crazy games are the good games. They're fun. They're memorable. 
and you just wish that you was on the other end of the um, the score. Yeah, and then Ed, you know, then you know, you get down there, and there's a chance uh, to kick a field goal to send an overtime. And Vanderjack, who I think at that time was the most accurate kicker in NFL history, he missed it by a mile. Like that thing barely stayed in the stadium. Um, and that was yeah. that was your last game as an Indianapolis Colt. Did you have yeah. any idea that that was going to be your last game? And and how did that well, happen? Well, I knew going into that season, because of the salary cap and the, the business side of the NFL, it's going to be tough to retain everybody, you know. And mm-hmm. for myself, I wasn't really tripping because, you know, I did everything I'm supposed to do. And I've always lived by principles of not worrying about things I can't control. I make sure I put myself in the best position possible. So... You know, it, it's just football, and it's part of the business. I don't think nobody should be surprised when change not, when change knocks on the door. And it was just it was just the time to, you know, with the, within the salary cap and the system. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't something that surprised me or anybody that was close to me. Like we knew we knew how this thing go. Yeah, what was it like playing with Peyton and and the rivalry with with Brady and the Patriots? Like, how real was that for you guys? Because that that's what everyone talked about whenever the the Colts and the Patriots played. You know, this rivalry between the two, and it always felt like the, the Patriots had that upper hand. You know, there were the two the two playoff games uh, up at Foxborough, won the AFC Championship game, and then that one weird game where it just snowed the entire time, and it only snowed in Foxborough. I was literally at that game. And like two minutes away from Foxborough, there was no snow on the ground. It literally just snowed on the stadium that day. It was crazy. <laughs> well, you know that. I mean that 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 was a great rivalry. That was a great matchup. And I think everybody built on each other. I think if you, if you start looking at both teams, everybody took a little bit from each other. Like because we're the first team to start the no huddle. We didn't even go yeah. in a huddle. The next thing you know, you see the Patriots doing the same thing, and everybody kind of kind of learned from each other. Those were tough games. And that's where the regular season became more important than normal because, you know, you don't want to have to go to Foxborough because you have to play in those elements. You know, you don't want to have to end up going up there. But whoever has the best record is going to end up being the host. And it made the regular season more interesting. But as far as the rivalry, I think you knew you was going to get a good game out of them. And I know, like, we knew when we go up there, we're going to move up and down the field, you know. But it's just a matter of, getting in that end zone. You know, they was they were real detailed and tough when it came down to shrinking in the field. And they did a great job on that. And they they actually taught us a lot about ourselves, the way they would, you know, the way they would scheme up some packages and mix up their blitzes, which would take the running back out of the pass passing game, which enabled them to double another receiver. So they came up with some good stuff at times, but then we had to figure it out. And as you figure those things out, now now you have the upper hand. So it was like a great yeah. chess match, and it was ongoing every time. So, so again, the 2005, that, that playoff game was your last game as a Colt. And then in 2006, you signed with Arizona. And the Cardinals got off to a great start that year, and you guys had another crazy game, that Monday night game against Chicago, uh, where yeah. the, the, Bears, the Bears came storming back. I don't think they had an offensive touchdown in that game, and they still found yeah. a way to win it. That, that was a crazy game. Yeah, that was that was crazy, but that's what about, that's the thing about football. You never know what's going to happen, and the momentum started swinging in, the, in in their favor, and we just we just didn't get it done, you know. But we were a team that was just coming together, learning ourselves. You know, I went to Arizona, you know, knowingly that 
okay, doesn't have the best offensive line. A lot of things are missing. Usually people don't have success, but I wasn't really tripping on that. I'm like, I, I did my homework. You know, I know that this team has a chance to be good. That's one thing I always hang my hat on. I say, man, look, nobody's seen the potential in the Arizona Cardinals. And I go there and I make it to the Super Bowl with the Arizona Cardinals. We turn the franchise around. And, you know, it, it makes me say, you know what? I, I, I told y'all I was right. You know, I told y'all I was right about yeah. this place. They have all the pieces. And I'm just happy that I was part of turning two franchises around in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did it did it sting at all like the year after you left? The Colts finally went to the Super Bowl and then they run past Chicago and they, and they ran for 200 yards in that Super Bowl win, Super Bowl 41 over the uh, over the Bears. Nah, for me, like for me, I, you know me, you know my personality. I don't, I'm not tripping on any of that stuff. I'm a business person, you know. I could have stayed to the coach if I was going to take less, you know, if I wasn't going to do what's best for me. And I think when I when I look back on it, I'm so glad that I made the decision. It made me evolve as a person, you know. But you know, I was still a part of that team in a sense. You know, I was on the phone with them. That, that's all that I knew. The coach were, yeah. yeah, the coach were my birth family. You know, my and so when it came to when they when they drafted Joseph Adai, I made sure me and Joseph got on the phone. I taught him everything I could and let him know, hey, anything you need to know how to run this offense, I'm here to help you. And I was always a part of that. And when they came, and the Super Bowl was actually in Miami, so I host a lot of the guys. I was there all a the part of the whole process, and it was a cool thing. It's ha- you're happy for your brothers. You're happy for your family. You know, you have to, you know, you have to take yourself out of the equation. And I've always taken myself out of the equation because I did what was best for me. And ultimately, you know, the owner of the coach, you know, our relationship remained intact. And he actually gave me a Super Bowl ring, which a great, which was a great gesture, you know, to show you how close wow. I was to that team. That that's really cool. Um, that that had to mean a lot to you, right? Yeah, it means a lot because you know a lot of times these these franchises, you know, you just you're just a guy and you're moving on. But when you're part of something, you're part of that family and people really understand like, hey, you helped build this thing because this wasn't no overnight success. We built we built that organization. We built that thing up brick by brick, year in, year out. We continue to improve and we gave the city something that they, they never seen or something they probably would have never seen if we don't do it the way we do it. Now, I think I know the answer to this question based on your personality, but when you finished playing, where was the Hall of Fame for you? Was that something you even thought about, or you were like, hey, if it happens, it happens? Now, I've always wanted to get in the Hall of Fame. I, you know, during my career, I've charted every year, every game. I knew about every player in the position. I knew of every Hall of Famer at my position. So I knew I was on the path, and I knew I had what it take. But then my last year in Arizona, you know, I, I kind of clashed with the coach. And then I have personal things that I have to deal with. You know, my kid's mom ended up passing, so yeah. I have to deal with all those yeah. personal things to where football became secondary. And that's where you start looking at, hey, did I do enough? And I, well, I know I did enough. Numerically, I've done enough. You know, I'm only so many yards from this person. I can stick around and try to pad my stats and do things to solidify my position or my stance as a Hall of Fame player. But I'm like, nah, um, family's more important. It's more important for me to, to walk away from the game even though I know I could have played probably two more years. I probably could have gave a decent two years. But those are the things that make you most proud, that you say, hey, I was able to put myself second, you know, and walk away from the game 
because I know there's an important, there's something more important um, to take care of or to deal with. And the Hall of Fame, it's gonna, it's gonna come. It's just not gonna come as fast as a lot of players would have liked. But it came for me. It came at the perfect timing. You know, it came yeah. in the city of Miami. You know, more mature. I'm, you know, I, I've grown. I understand the game. I understand life a whole lot more. And so that was that worked out the the way it's supposed to work out. You know, if it would have happened sooner, I would probably wouldn't appreciate it as much. What did it mean when you finally got the knock and said, "Hey, congratulations"? Once you get in, you start understanding. Okay, yeah, my work was really worth it. You know, we accomplished our goal. You know, we set out to be one of those guys. From the beginning, I've always said I wanted to leave my mark. I wanted to be one of the best to ever play the game. Not in no particular order. I just want to make sure that everybody know that Ed James is here. And I did what it take. And the committee or the people in the Hall of Fame acknowledging that they agree also. Yeah. Well, listen, the, the first triplets were the Cowboys triplets, Aikman, Urban, and Emmett. You guys were the second triplets. What what does it mean to have sort of that nickname attached to what you guys were able to accomplish? I mean, when, when you get a nickname like that, it, it sort of puts you on a different level of what, what those the three of you. And I, I get it. There were many other players that were involved, but the, those were the three people that so many people associate with that offense of the Colts. I just think anytime you're in the conversation with the greats, you're doing something right. You know, yeah. you're putting up numbers. I don't think there's three players in the history of the game that put up as many numbers as the three of us. And I think you can probably go fact check if you want, but yeah. I don't think it's going to be tough to find three guys. Yeah, three yeah. guys that, that had the numbers that we put up no matter what. And, and to be named amongst the great, that says a lot, you know, and it gives, it gives the younger generation something to shoot for. But for us, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. And to know that no other three guys have put up, put up numbers like we have, that says a lot, lot within itself, you know, because, you know, we did our job. We did what we were supposed to do. We came together. We moved, moved that ball up and down the field, you know, with yeah. ease and, and, it's, and it's documented. Yeah, it was poetry at times to watch that offense run. But, of mm -hmm. course, football's just a part of your life now, and it's a former part of your life. And as you have stated here, you got to find a way to keep yourself busy all the time. So why don't we take our second break when we come back with Hall of Famer Edger James. We'll talk about his book, one of the greatest titles of all time, and the other things that he's up to now in his post-playing career. Stay with us. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaway, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. Guys, the NBA's regular season is now officially in the books. We turn our attention to the postseason. At Caesar Sportsbook, the Phoenix Suns are the favorites to emerge as NBA champs holding the Larry O'Brien Trophy at plus 270. The Suns are looking for their first title in franchise history and completed the regular season with a league-best record of 64-18. and 18. 
The reigning champion Bucks have the second lowest odds at plus 475 as they're looking to become the first team to repeat as NBA champs since the Golden State Warriors did it in 2017 and 2018. Right behind those teams are the New Jersey Nets at 650, but they will need to clear the play-in tournament to make the playoffs. The Nets last won a title in 1976 where they were in the old ABA and some guy named Dr. J was the team's 25-year-old superstar. Only two other clubs are at plus 1,000 or better to win it all. The Warriors at plus 950 and the Celtics at plus 1,000. Find more of Trey's trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467369. All right, back with Hall of Famer Edger and James, who has a book out now called, uh, the title is From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, which again, uh, that's just a perfect title to explaining your journey with the grill and then the gold jacket you get at Canton. What, is, what was the motivation for writing the book? It was, it was the, the, the Hall of Fame. That was the closure. That right there what made the book complete. The book wouldn't have been complete without the gold jacket, you know, because everybody's on this journey. And this journey as a football player, you know, it starts at some point, but it also ends. And my journey, it ended the right way. It ended where you would have wanted it as a player. You know, of course, you want to win all these Super Bowls and have all these things. But individually, as a player, you want to be able to put on that gold jacket. And that's what made the book so significant, you know, because, you know, I did it the hard way. I didn't have all the fanfare. I remember I came in, I wasn't, I wasn't the, the popular pick um, as a draft. I mean, in the NFL draft, I wasn't a popular pick. And then the way I did my stuff, you know, I went to work and then I ended up, you know, making the decision to go to Arizona. All those things right there are part of the journey. You know, it wasn't no easy path. You know, it wasn't something that, that, you can just say, oh, if you do this, you're going to get this. No, there's so many other elements to it. And in the book, I try to describe what it's like to start out in a space of unknown and kind of having to figure out things on your own. And as you learn, you pick up, you, it's like you're putting the pieces together. And that book yeah. puts the pieces together. And ultimately, you still end up where you wanted to go. You know, it's like, some guys, they ride on the interstate, and some people had to ride on the back streets. I had to ride on yeah. the back streets to get where I got, you know. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer. The roads are smaller. There's traffic lights. There's so many things that will stop you. 
or so many things that are, that are, that kind of slow you down. But for me, it's the constant, persistent, you know, just going at it and understanding the mission. And I was able to accomplish the mission. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, if, if people would look at you, like you said, with the gold teeth come from the you, they think you'd be you know, all the flash. But you're really about the about the substance. And, and I, I just get the sense that everything in your life is about putting in the work to get the results that you want. You have to. I, I was never given anything, so I don't know any other way. You know, I never walked in a space and there was somebody gave me something, you know. And so I, I grew up with the expectation if you want something, you got to work for it. If you have to take it, you have to sit up here and identify it and say, this is what I want and I'm willing to do what it takes. And a lot of people, they're given things. I can't think of anything that I was ever given. So it was never in, I never had that mindset because I don't know no other way. And I've always taken that approach. And to this day, you know, anything that I want to accomplish, you know, I don't ask for handouts. You know, I, I go out and identify what it's going to take and I do what it takes. You did what it takes for all those years in Indy, and and now it seems like there's another star running back there in Jonathan Taylor. What do you what do you see in Jonathan Taylor's game that you like or reminds you of you in any way? Well, I just think Jonathan Taylor he's consistent. That's the first thing about being a great football player. To be good, you have to be consistent, and in, in order to be consistent, you have to take good care of your body. You have to be in tune with the game. You have to know that people are going to try to stop you. You have to know that people know you. But what are you going to do? And so that guy is doing what it takes. And hopefully he continues to build on it. My conversation with him has always been, hey, you're having a great season, you know, but let's continue to work. Let's continue to take care of our bodies because it's very important. The running back position only has so many hits in them. And you can extend your career or you can shorten your career depending on how you take care of your body. And if you take care of your body the right way, you can extend it and that's what I hope that he does, and that, that's the thing that would be great for him and any other back that's out there. I like watching the guy play, and the fact that he can hit the big run, you understand this game. This game is one mistake. If the defense make one mistake, you hit the big run. And a lot of times the way the game is set up, it's kind of it's misleading because you can have 100 yards, but you don't affect the game because all it takes is one big run. So you want to make sure you're able to answer the bell at the right time. And if you look looked at him throughout this year, he answered the bell at the right time. He closed some games out when they knew he yep. was getting the ball. So that's those are those are great signs. Is there one running back that you watch now that reminds you of the way you played more than anybody else in the league? Uh well, if I have to say a comparison with the pad level and the the aggressiveness, I I watch Zeke. When I watch Zeke, he yeah. plays downhill. He plays aggressive. He finishes runs strong. You know, that that was the guy that I, that I see that says, you know what, he understands the pad level. He understands that he's the aggressor. So if I had to say one that I watch now that ran with that forward lean, that finishes strong, I would probably say it's him. Yeah, and, and he, like you, was a willing participant in the blocking part of football, right? That's a thing that a lot of running backs don't necessarily take to heart. But Zeke took it to heart or takes it to heart, and you absolutely took it to heart. I had no choice. You know, at the University of Miami, you have to block. If you can't block, you can't play. So once you understand, you know, the rules or the job requirements, now you got to say, okay, do I really want to play this position? Do I really want to be on this field? And if I want to be on this field, I'm going to be the best at whatever I'm doing. 
So I took blocking and say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I'm one of the best blockers all time and nobody can dispute it. You know, I'm, I'm going to protect this quarterback as best I can. I'm going to stand in the paint and I don't care how big the defender is, I'm going to do my job. So I learned all the techniques. I learned everything that it took to become a great blocker to make sure that I'm able to do my job. I don't want this guy that this team is paying all this money or we're depending on to um, to take a hit or end up being injured for the season because I couldn't get my guy. And I wanted to make sure I did that. And I did it consistently. And it was something that I took pride in because I know playing in, in these offenses, if, you're gonna, if they're going to pass the ball, you know, they're depending on us. And we have to do our part. 20 years from now, some guy stumbles across highlights of Edger and James on YouTube or whatever platform we'll have in 20 years from now. What's the first thing you would want someone like that to know about the way you played the game? I played the game the way it's supposed to be played. You know, I didn't make excuses. You know, I didn't sit up there and look for somebody to say, oh, well, this is a foul or they're doing this or they're doing that. I took whatever, whatever came my way. I, I took it as a, a challenge and I did what it was supposed to do. So I played the game it was supposed to play, a real, a real gladiator, a real warrior. You know, when you see, yeah. when you see Edwin James out there, you're looking at a real warrior that's not making no excuses and not afraid to go against anybody. I haven't seen anybody on the field that intimidated me or that I wasn't willing to run into or block or do whatever I had to do. So when you see somebody like myself, you know, you're going to say, man, this guy right here was a true gladiator. And he did what it taken. He he put his body on the line for real, you know. Yeah, and that's how you end up with a gold jacket. And again, the Absolutely. book is out there now, from gold teeth to gold jacket. The Edger and James story and his run through the NFL. Edge, it was a pleasure to watch you play all those years. Uh, I was always a, a big fan, so I appreciate you taking the time and uh, and being with us today. It meant a lot. Thank you. All right, thanks for having me, man. And anytime you need me, I'm, I'm not far away. So once again, thanks to Hall of Famer Edger and James for joining us. And check out his book. Again, one of the greatest titles ever, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket. It's available wherever you can buy your books. So we got big things coming. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say with the draft approaching, we're going to have a smorgasbord of episodes around the NFL draft, which, of course, will be in Vegas this year. And the guests that we have lined up chef's kiss good i don't want to give too much away but trust me you'll be entertained with a lot of the special extra episodes we'll be running the week of the nfl draft we'll see you then